Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheers me weekly, Baruch Hashem. Tonight is Er Chav Beis Tammuz, the eve of Chav Beis Tammuz. Shabbos, Mirza Hashem. Shabbos, Mivarachim Achidish, Menachem Av. As we know that it's called Menachem Av. Shabbos, of course, as we know, is Parshas Pinchas in Chutzlaretz. Mate is still in Eretz Yisrael. We are still not together, Mirza Hashem. But I know the table next week. Kali Yisrael unites, we'll make some talk about that, isn't the head. During the period of time between Shivasabh Tammuz, the 17th day of Tammuz, and Tishabav, this three weeks' time, these three weeks are known as Bain Amitzarim. <coughs> During Bain Amitzarim, the mini Yisrael is to learn, to study Hilchas Beis Habachira. Um, I say it so open that Minig Yisrael as if it's something that has been time in history, something actually that Rebbe instituted, but it's become very, very popular. People study the halachis that have to do with Beis HaBechira. The temple, the holy temple, as we did throughout the other year, throughout past years, we learned a little bit of a few of the halachas, a few Mishnah, a Mishnah, so or halacha in the Mishnah, something on a Mishnah, in Mesechtis Midas, Mishnahis Midas, from the Hilchas Rambam, Hilchas Beis Habachira, and of course of the Nevuah of Yecheskel Hanavi, which discusses the Asid Lavi. Tonight, Chav Beis Tammuz is a yard site of my grandfather, Shalom, and Yisrael ben Pinchas. I'd like to dedicate the shir tonight in his memory. In a nutshell, a Balmasidus Nefesh, a man that was born in Krakow, in the beginning of the 1900s, married my grandmother, who was from Sons, and they set up home in Sons. The Zayder of Israel was not just a Pashtayid, he was a cousin, a very big cousin. When he arrived here in America, they actually said that his second. Yosela has arrived, referring to Yosela Rosenblatt, reference to Yosela Rosenblatt. My, my recorder is extremely sensitive, it picks up a lot of sounds. And in Europe itself, back in Europe, in Poland, Warton in Europe, he was a sheikhit. He saw to it to be mezakeh, many, many yidin, with kosher meat. 
upon arrival here in America, I've said this before on his yard site, because last year also the Shia was on his yard site. Um, upon arrival in America, he was a sheikh in Borough Park in Brooklyn, and many people knew. He wanted shchit, he wanted yeshechted, you go to Rabbi Yisrael Hecht. How many years ago? 50 years, 55 years ago. 60 years ago. In the 50s. He arrived here in 1947, actually. He arrived back in 47. We actually have the manifest of the ship in which they arrived on. It came in from Copenhagen. Did he come into Ellis Island? I believe. I don't know. I can check it again. I don't remember. Um, the house, no matter where they were, was always open. Open for everyone, for anyone. And it wasn't enough. Although, as we spoke many times, I must have told many stories, my grandmother has shown what kind of person she was. But even more so, ultimately, in order for that to happen, you have to have, the husband has to allow that. And he more than just allowed these things. He allowed the constant um, attendance, shall we say, of Yusemim, of orphans. Water in Europe at the time was quite, quite frequent. There were many, many orphans running around the streets, unfortunately, not knowing where to turn, where to go. Unfortunately, although he was always zeichel with his mitzvahs, Unfortunately, he did lose a child in the war. The Nazis, Germany, the Nazis took his oldest son, his Becher, out of Yeshiva. Um, Ultimately, they came together here, they stayed together. His mother, the Baba Menucha, was a very, very holy, special woman. Was famous for Bashat miracles, Mason, Palaplay, and things that she did, whether it was involved Ayin Hara or anything of the sort. She was always very, 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 very openly involved to help other people. The Zayd himself was very musically inclined. He lived with his music, although he lived with his swadam, he lived with learning. One time he was in the hospital, 
lying there in the hospital bed, you usually come in, you see a patient sitting there watching the TV. Um, today you go into hospitals and you see patients that are hooked up to IV and machinery, but they're in wheelchairs. They say, why is this person not in bed? And you see, look at the person, he's holding his smartphone, he's playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> so he can't stay in bed because he's got to be on the move. Um, he'd come in and he'd be lying there. Very rarely would be lying alone because usually with somebody, one of the children, grandchildren were with him. But you come in there and he would discuss with you with nothing in his hand, he would discuss with you the Pasha, he would discuss every Erechayim on the Pasha. He was a Baki Erechayim, he just was able to. The Erechayim HaKadosh, as we know, also the outside is in Tammuz, Tezvav Tammuz, exactly a week before. And he wouldn't, he'd make nothing of it, he wouldn't, you wouldn't see on him. His, the humility, the humbleness which he carried <laughs> we'd come on Arab Shabbos Thursday night and my grandmother would prepare for all the families she'd prepare fish, she'd prepare um, kugels we'd come on a Thursday evening and he'd be sitting there between peeling the potatoes for my grandmother But in his years later, when he ultimately lost another child, his youngest son, and being that that followed the week of Shiva after losing his wife, his grandmother passed away Yudches, and his son passed away Chavches, a few weeks later, unfortunately, he suffered a stroke. But with his... I mean, in simple terms, I can say, because I saw it, and I partook of this, because of his song, because of his music, he simply pulled himself out of a stroke that the doctor said there was no way it's going to happen. I, would, I sat there once humming a tune, a tune that he had just taught to my father, and he suddenly was moving his finger to the rhythm. When I called him the doctor, the doctor said, it's not possible. I said, watch. I started singing, a few seconds later again, he was tapping to the rhythm. He told me Zing's falch, but it was to the rhythm. That was a family running joke. He had a fantastic ear for the music. Played piano, he wrote the music. When he came home after the stroke, he came back home after rehab and everything else. And the children bought him a speakerphone, at the time was a very unique thing, and he had a list of all the shiurim that you could dial into today it's, everything's online those days you dial the phone, dial etc dial whatever you wanted and on the table was a pile of all the svarim of which the shiurim were given in and he would sit simply all day long with the open seifa listening to a shir and another shir. he didn't need the person to give him the shir, believe me but he liked to listen to the person, he liked to listen to a shir. You're listening to a shir, you understand that sometimes there are another 10, 20, 50, 100,000 people that are listening to the shir at the same time. So you're part of this large crowd. And he would just sit and listen to the shir, and this is all he needed. This is, all the, this is what kept him happy, this is what kept him sated. The Tzadiyah Godla was not Zechah, I wasn't here when he passed away. 
Um, I was actually in Israel at the time. I was there with my family, but um, it was actually Sandik. I was able to have him Sandik by my oldest son, and he actually came to the second son's bris as well. The second son is Ezra. Whenever he used to see the baby, you know, he would figure the man is in his high 80s in those days, he was really considered senile. He would look at the baby and he'd say, Ezri Meyem Hashem. He knew the name, he knew the name of his Enikloch, his Ureinikloch. And this is what he lived for, this is what his existence is all about, of helping Klai Yisrael. And although usually we say that the wife is the Ezek the wife is the one that supports and helps the husband do the mitzvahs and things, my grandmother Hashem was a very big mitzvah lady and he was right behind her. He never said, give me time, sit and talk to me a little bit. I know enough of the spade and of the stories. The shechitas, that he's the shecht in the forest in, in Europe, so people should have kosher. Smamish with Mesidus Nefesh. If he would have been caught, he would have been killed on the spot. But to sure make sure people had kosher food, he would go into the forest and shecht. And interestingly, he was Yisrael ben Pinchas. So in Pasha's Pinchas, he passed away. I can't say that for sure. I don't remember that it was Pasha's Pinchas the year he passed away. But this year, the Yazai comes out Pasha's Pinchas. And what was Pinchas all about? Pinchas, in English, we call him a zealot. A canoe. A go-getter? Nah. Much more. Much more than just the average go-getter. And the parsha opens up with a plague that had broken out amongst the Jewish nation. And the leader of the tribe of Shimon, Zimri, had taken a Midianite princess into his tent. Did he ask Moshe before? And Moshe, Elazar, the Zkenim, they all saw this. It was with great chutzpah he actually did it. How do you respond to this? How do you tell him? He's the head of a tribe. Not that they were um, intimidated by him. What do we tell this Chochem? Along came the simpleton Pinchas. Who was Pinchas till now? Nobody even knew Pinchas. He didn't hold position. He wasn't in Congress. He wasn't on the Skenim. He wasn't on the board of directors of the swimming pool in the Midbar. Nothing. But I remember that Meisha taught that the correct response to such situation where a person goes and lives with a Goyeshta and he comes to Meisha and he says, Meisha, isn't this, isn't the din that a man like this needs to be killed? And Meisha says to him, Adrama, go for it. You're right, this is the law, this is the halacha, get to this. And Pinchas goes into the tent and he catches Zimri in the middle of the Aveda and he kills him. And as soon as he kills Zimri, the plague stops. 
What does Hashem say to Pinchas? You turn my anger away from Bnei Yisrael by zealously avenging me among them so that I do not destroy Bnei Yisrael because of my zeal. Chapter 25, verse 11. What is his reward? You get the door? The door. Okay. I'm getting the door. Okay. What is his ultimate reward? God says, because of this, I give you Brisi Shalom, my covenant of goodwill and kahuna, and priesthood will go through your descendants. The Kahanim will continue henceforth. Somebody collecting? So commenting on this episode, Rashi says, that by the incident of the golden calf, with Cheta Eagle, Meisha confronted 600,000 people. All of a sudden here, he's helpless. One guy does something, he doesn't know what to do with the answer. Says Rashi, because Pinchas, Pinchas deserved to get this reward, and therefore this went through him. What do we learn from this story? What we learn from this story is, there are times that we don't only you got to word this very very carefully we always must look as this is what we spoke about last week we always must look at Das Teda we always must turn to Das Teda And then there are times where one acts at instinct. Why did Hashem take away the divinity from Mesha? Why did Hashem take away this knowledge from Mesha? And we see that this Pasha ultimately, Mesha Rabbeinu gets this twice. That his clarity is not there. In this case, is so that Pinchas should be able to get the chzchus. If a person has a positive impact, and you know this is the way that has to happen, without hurting another person, but by helping by thereby you'll be helping people, but not on the expense of somebody else. Unless, of course, Halacha deems it as such, as in the case of Pinchas. Then a person doesn't stand by silently. He doesn't stand by idly. 
Everyone has their unique mission. It's very difficult. It's very difficult not to voice your knowledge, not just your opinion. But when you understand that this is the halacha, and this is the way it has to be, and what the person is currently doing needs to be stopped, you need to step to the plate and tell them as such. I will tell you that that is extremely, extremely difficult. The fact that Pinchas remembered the law more than anyone else at this time we see is based on the Pasuk. The Pasuk tells us who's Pinchas? We didn't hear Pinchas till now. Pinchas ben Alozor ben Aaron HaKoyin Rashi says it doesn't go back to Levi for whatever reason Irrelevant. Not irrelevant. Rashi is never irrelevant. But here what we're looking at the relevance is that the, what the Torah does say. Not what the Torah doesn't say. The Torah does say that he was the son of a Lazar. That's not enough. That's not sufficient. There always it says, Pinchas ben Lazar. This one ben this one. Zimri ben Salu. Gamliel ben Bedatsur. All the shape. It's always mentioned the father. Where does he go to the grandfather here? Now we know from what was discussed a few weeks ago, a few short weeks ago, the love of Arnakayim to each and every Jew. How he excelled last week, we spoke of the selling love that Aaron had to every Jew. And he constantly sought the well being of each and every Jew. He was Ayyiv Shalom Vereyiv Shalom. He is the one that stepped forth and he demanded from Pare, let my people go. He is the one that stood up by the Chet Eagle and didn't say this one did it and that one did it and blamed this one and killed that one. He said, I did it. He took it upon himself so that no one else should get punished. And therefore, what was the schus of Aaron in the Midbar? Ananiya Kovid. The clouds that protected the Jews. Because this is what his goal was, to protect the Jews. An anical of Aaron. How apropos is it? A grandchild of Aaron. Pinchas inherited the same love for his fellow Jews. And this devotion to their good being, to their well-being and to their good, he stood there watching a plague go by and killing and taking one life after another. And he was frantic. How do I stop this? How do I make it stop, go away? So that my fellow Jews stop suffering and stop dying. This feeling, this yearning, this tearing at his heart, this is what brought about to give him the merit to recall the law 
that everyone else said that the moment's forgotten. And not only that, but motivated him to risk his very life and to implement the law in order to stop the plague for it pained him so badly. And that's why the Tater says, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akoyim. The source of Pinchas' profound love came from where? From his grandfather Aaron Akoyim. And this is what drove him to doing, to being so zealous about this. What did it ultimately cause? It caused, as we said before, the anger of God against the Jewish nation was curtailed. And Pinchas, in turn, received the kahuna. The priestlyhood now came from his descendants. In other words, up until that point, Pinchas was not a Kayin. He was the son of Elazar, <coughs> the grandson of Aaron, but he was not a Kayin. So, now you understand the story of the guy who paid the mortgage of the shul to become a levy. Because his grandfather was a levy and his father was a levy and he wanted to be a levy too. So we see that obviously there had to be a way to do that. No, please, do not take that seriously. That was a joke. Do not ever, ever take that seriously. If your father is a Kayin, you are a Kayin. And we'll leave Tilayo tomorrow at 7.30 for the grandfather's yard site. But the same way Pinchas saved it, Mesh, as we said, saved the Eden many times. On numerous occasions, Mesha saved the Eden as well. We don't find Mesha getting these great rewards. Hereditary rewards are so much so. <laughs> when Moshe says, let my children take me over, inherit my position, and take over the Jews and lead the Jews, God said, no. I'm giving it to Yeshua. And he said, okay. Place your hand on Yeshua's head, and he did so. Not a moment argument. So why was Pinchas, from this one little episode here given such vast reward his descendants forever and ever and the difference is a very simple one the mode of operation was totally different of Pinchas and of Mesha. Mesha saved the Jews by prayer whatever it was, any lotion we find, Moshe stood up and he besieged from God to forgive the Jews for their sins, retract the harsh punishments they faced. Pinchas, on the other hand, he saved the Jews through action. Action, action. He heroically killed a prince of, a sh- of Shimon, of the tribe of Shimon, the Nazi of Shimon, and therefore made a Kiddush Hashem and not only he made a Kiddush Hashem, but he caused the entire nation to repent, to do tshuva. Moshe saved the Eden by intervention on high. Pinchas saved them through his efforts to elevate them from below.
Moshe put his spiritual life, his bond with the Tate on the line, in order to save the Jewish people. He challenged God and said, Erase my name from your Tata that you have written. Pinchas risked his physical life. He exposed himself to mortal risk by going into the territory of Shimon and killing the popular leader. So since Pinchas' deeds were uniquely grounded in comparison to Meshach's, Pinchas therefore reward firmly established for him and his descendants after him an internal covenant. Now very interesting expression used here. Because ultimately we say Pinchas ze Eliyahu. Pinchas was Eliyahu Anavi. And as we know, Eliyahu did not die. So the eternity lived on forever. Some say, of the opinion, that when he killed Zimri, his neshama also flew out. His own soul flew out, and therefore, it looked like he too died, in order to save, not save face, but to cause Kiddush Hashem totally, he was given the neshama of Eliyahu. And therefore, became, Pinchas became Eliyahu. No, he never, he never was buried. Pinchas was never buried. Pinchas became Elio. And if you're good at it and you know how to twist and turn, I guess there must be a gematria between Pinchas and Elio. I can't imagine how, though. There is, though. I did see it once and I don't remember where. So his reward was more than just his generations. His reward went to him himself, where he lives on forever. And Eliyahu, as we know, had zero tolerance. He had a very low tolerance level. He had no tolerance level. He had a zero tolerance um, policy. And that's why the Evde Baal went through what they went through with him. And... That's why Leon Navi has to come to every Brismila. Because of saying that he spoke against the Jewish name, not against Mamish, against the Jewish people, but he mentioned in a way, in a circling, in a circumvental way, he mentions to God something negative about the Jews. God said, in that case, you will be by every Brismila to see the sacrifice the Jews put up. So Pinchas says, Salyonavi says to the how can I go to a bris? There's going to be sinners there. And if I see a sinner I can't take it, I'll just bury them, I'll burn them alive. Says Hashem, I will forgive, the Sandik, he says, first he starts with the Sandik. The Sandik is going to be sitting there how, how can I look at the Sandik? If he didn't, if he had done any kind of a virus, so Hashem says to Pinchas, "I will forgive him all his sins, and therefore he will have no sins." So Pinchas starts to enumerate 
and this one and that one and finally Hashem says I will forgive all the assembled at the bris but you have to attend each and every bris milah and therefore it's a great schus and a great merit for each and every one of us to go to any given bris that we can possibly go to in the realm of time without giving up our jobs <laughs> what says the passage as we said before eternal covenant of kuhuna shall be for him for his, and for his descendants after him because he was zealous for his God Zimri as we said before the prince the leader of the tribe of Shimon sinned with the princess of Midian Pinchas knew the law that Meshe taught regarding the situation as we said courageously kills Zimri The Torah states that Pinchas is rewarded so greatly because Tachas Hashikini Lelikov. Rashi explains this means he raged God's rage and avenged God's vengeance. In other words, implying the sin that Pinchas avenged is regarded as an affront to God Himself. More so than any other sin. Going and being with a non-Jewish woman. Why? Chassidus explains. When a Jew transgresses, a person does an Aveda of any sort. He transgresses any commandment to the Teda. the faculties of his godly soul that he used to do this Aveda, to commit this Aveda, are put in a state of exile. It's an exile that's literally vested in the act of, the, of defied God's will. The fact that he can defy God's will. Therefore, this exile of the godly soul is even greater when a person sins with his reproductive abilities. Because the reproduction of a person, literally, is the very fabric of the human life and the essence of the soul. But even so, the sinner remains a Jew. His godly energies remain holy. Albeit in exile until he repents. So even if a person, Rahman brings an illegitimate child into the world with a Jewish woman, child is still Jewish. Illegitimate, a mamzer as we call him, but still Jewish. But a child born from a non-Jewish woman is not a Jew. So a sin that he that he causes here it causes that the something of him loses Jewishness entirely. 
And this is thereby breaching the natural distinction that God created between Jew and non-Jew. And they be keeping score at home, the Gemara Mesech Desnida. Lamed Allah from his base tells us, there are three partners in the creation of a child. The mother, the father, and Hashem is Barach. And therefore, the offense that Zimri was doing was offending God Himself. He's desecrating godly power of reproduction. Taking every iota of sanctity out of it. And this is why Pinchas was given the kahuna. Kahuna is a reality of nature. Rashi compares it elsewhere to unchangeable realities of the day and night. But because Pinchas was zealous for God, and he avenged the breach of the natural distinction between Jew and non-Jew, God rewarded him with a breach of nature, and thereby making him a Kayin. We had said before, this is also why he was given the reward, Mida Keneged Mida, that his children follow suit into his life, his gen- future generations, unlike Meshes, who did not merit as such. interesting point Gemara if you keep his card home Mesechus Brachus Nun Vav Amid Beis 56 I 2 Gemara says a very interesting thing Haraya Pinchas Bachalim Pelen Asalim someone sees Pinchas in his dream a wonder happens for him like in the wonder that happened to Pinchas. If someone sees an elephant in his dream, many wonders happen to him. Now, the simple explanation of the Gemara tells us the difference between seeing Pinchas and seeing an elephant, <laughs> someone that sees an elephant will see many wonders, and the seeing Pinchas only one. That's quite an interesting thing. By Pinchas only one? How is that? It's questionable. The Rizal tell us, when keeping score at home, it's Mesech the Sanhedrin, 
Pei Beis Amid Beis, 82 side 2. The Imam Masech Sanhedrin says, Shisha Nisim Nasol the Pinchas. Six miracles occurred to Pinchas. So why are you Pinchas Bachalim? If you see him by the dream, only Pelechot. That's not what Pinchas had. Pinchas had six. So why do we only get one? Let us understand first the difference between a nace and a pele, a miracle and a wonder. A nace is something, a miracle is something that alters nature. The fact that we call it altering of nature is understood in order to do a miracle. Something special needs to be done to eliminate the nature of the situation and to make the miracle happen. A person, Rahman al not well, not well, with a drastic illness, Rahman al and the illness gets totally eradicated, is totally wiped out, person sees an openness, an open miracle. A pele, a wonder, is something that totally separates itself from the nature's ways. Rashi says in Shaftim, chapter 17, verse 18, any hafla, any kind of pele wonders, is a loshan. The loshan of hafla, pele, is something that is separates. It detaches. This action, this behavior, doesn't have to be a special deed of changing nature. But rather, it's a miraculous behavior within the behavior of what way it is before. This is the pillar that was done, Shanasa the Pinchas. Because it says, Shisha Nisim Shanasa the Pinchas. They were all done in a way of a pillar. That each and everything happened. Hagadish Baruch made it with a miracle. And therefore, thereby we see that all the behavior, all the actions of God, with Pinchas was above nature. So the was an action of, of a pellet, of a wonder. This is therefore Rashi says, Pelanasale. Kimeshinasale Pinchas. A pellet is done to him like it was done to Pinchas. The main novelty by Pinchas. It's not how the miracle was done to him, but the pella that was done to him. It was done in a way of pella totally detached from nature. And therefore, it was many, many miracles. And that's why they're called Ployas Lashanab. 
Because it's all one intent to become Hanhaga Pulayus. Now we understand. The pala that's done to the person that sees Pinchas in his dream is higher than the place that's done by the elephant. Because the fact that this place, Lashon Adam, is understood that the kavana, the intention here is to many different ploys, the separations within the essence of the miracle. Like was done to Pinchas. That's not one thing. But it's a situation where everything is one big miracle. said before that Meshe Rabbeinu does not only forget The one law that Pinchas brings to, atten- to his attention, but there's yet another case, another story. So, at the end of the Pasha, the daughters of Tzalafchad approach Meshe Rabbeinu. They approached the nice Slavchar approached Mesha and they tell him our father died, whatever the reason the father died. And there's no sons. In order, says the Tater of inheritance. Everybody understood that inheritance goes only to a son. And being there's no son, where's they going to go? Where's their father's inheritance going? So they said, what are we? Sumatia says, I don't know. Hold on. Please stand by. And he says, and listen to what God has to say, and God says the following, If a man dies and has no son, you transfer the inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, you give it to his brothers. And then there's different succession until it comes to Yeshiva. In the order of inheritance, a person dies with no children, the next in line is his father. If the father predeceased the son, in the usual fashion, then the brothers inherit. 
Yet when the Torah outlines the laws of inheritance, the verse totally ignores the possibility of a person's father living to inherit him. Instead states, if he has no daughter, he give it to his brothers. The Gemara says, if you keep your score at home, it's Brachas 18 side 2. The wicked, even in their lifetime, are called the dead. The Zohar, I'm not telling you where it's found, because you don't want you looking it up, takes it a step further. And he says, one who falls from his rung of divine service is called dead. Accordingly, when the Torah omits of the scenario a person died in his father's lifetime is interpreted as an insight into the nature of spiritual death. The Altarev explains in Tanya this you can look up Perikites in Tanya a Jew who is conscious of his godly soul's intricus, intrinsic intrinsic desire person, a Jew, that follows the desire to cleave to God will never be willing to do an Avera. Will never be willing to transgress the two of sin. And this is because essentially a person that does an Avera is severing and denial of one's relationship with God. And this is akin with idol worship, and we know a Jew would uh, would sacrifice his very essence, his very life, before he worships idols. This super rational attachment that a person has to a vinu to a father in heaven, and thereby a person cannot bring himself to sin and detach himself, separate himself, God forbid, is the godly soul's highest faculty. From where the godly soul evolves. And is therefore called Father. Now we understand why the instances of death addressed by the Teda are scenarios in which the father, deceased father, deceased father has already passed away. He was no longer an active presence in his life. Because if there was, the father was not absent, meaning, if one would remember God, his father, his fundamental unwavering attachment to God, he would never suffer a spiritual death. He would never do an Aveda. V'yasu, l'imigdosh v'shachanti b'seichem, the Torah says, When the form of Bias Mashiach Tzidkenu, beginning of the service of Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi made of Yemenu, and those that think that from Bias Mashiach and Binyan Hamikdash until the beginning of the Aveda will be a, a space, a space of time, a lapse of time, shall we say? We have to prove this is not the truth. This is not as such. Now those that hold that a Kayan may not drink a revius of wine in this day in today's days. Why? 
Because b'mehere yibana beis hamidosh. The beis hamidosh will be built right away. V'shikir also b'aveda. And a shikir is not allowed to do b'aveda. Is not allowed to serve in the temple. For those keeping score at home, you see Masechtas Tainus, seventeen side A, Yudzayin Amar Aleph. How do we get rid of drunk? How do we get rid of the alcohol? Several ways. <laughs> the first of the two, sleep. The person sleeps it off. And then the Gemara, if you keep your score at home, is Mesechtis Erechin, Erevin, I'm sorry, Samach Davin Amit Beis, 64 side 2, where the Gemara says the second way is, you should wait until the time it takes to go a travel a mill. This amount of time is about 18 minutes. Some say 24 minutes. So the fact that Kayan cannot drink a Ravi is Yayin. the opinion that says he cannot drink the Ravi of wine, which is about three and a half ounces. Because this Yayin could impair him. And therefore he'd have to wait 24 minutes, according to one opinion, till he could do Aveda. From here we see that as soon as the Mashiach comes, until the time of Beis being ready to do the Avedim Beis is seconds. So Kayan has to always be ready to go do the Aveda. And therefore, he has to always be prepared. Within 23 minutes and 59 seconds. And we know that the, therefore we learned the Hilgas Beis HaBechir, as we said, so that we are preparing ourselves for the Binyan of Beis so that we know where we're going, where we're, going where, we, where we're allowed to stand, where we're not allowed to stand, where we can be, where we cannot be, when we can be there, when we cannot be there. And therefore it's imperative every Jew to learn the Hilgas Beis HaBechir. We learn therefore Yecheskel, where Yecheskel tells us in his prophecy that God showed him a prophecy and literally, an angel takes him for a tour of the Ba'is Ashlishi, takes him for a physical, virtual tour, and shows him each and every nook and cranny, until he gets, of course, to the Kedish Kedashim and says, Uh-uh, there we can't go. But he describes to him the God that was inside. And in Messiah's Midas, the of Yaakov is one of the more, prof- more proficient Tanoim, for he was the one that remembered mostly what went down over there, as we say in Bayashini. And there are times in the Mishnah, in the Sektas Midas, Elizabeth says, even, I don't remember what happened in this room. But he does remember that his uncle, who was a levy, fell asleep once on his watch. And he got his clothes lit on fire for it. Because that was the law. That the person walking around, watching and checking on the guards, if he found them sleeping, could light his clothes on fire. He says, once my uncle got that. So that is the Mesech, the Smithers.
And then, of course, the Yad Chazaka and Halacha, Hilchus of Rambam, where the Rambam tells us each and every thing, each and every Halacha. And interestingly, there's even facts that the, the Rambam inserts, which technically don't sound like Halachas, which ultimately also come out to surface to be Halachas. And one of the most profound of the ones, the fact that Rambam says that the rooms cannot be made of wood, and nothing can be made of wood in the Beis Hamikdash, and yet we know that there's a Lishkas Eitzim. Yet we know that Kain Godel's room, etc., etc., the places that were wood, and there's a Ravid, and there's a, everyone that all the they secure them on the side, that come back and forth until we get the ultimate answers. When the Rebbe just says one answer, which is the simplest of them all, the Rambam says cannot be boiled Eitzim. The wood cannot be sticking out, and therefore. It answers every other problem than any other place that there was wood. It was just not necessarily sticking out. It could have been covered. And we should just merit the Taka tonight, the Schusa Yogan Aleinu, my grandfather, Shalom, Salvin Pinchas, Lachayim, Lachayim, Lebracha, his Shamashah and Aliyah. And we should all get together today with Mashiach Tzidkenu and Yerushalayim and the Beis Hamidash Ashlishi on Harabayas Shabbat Shalom to all.